0: listening to The Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us today. We have a a really special guest I'm excited to interview today. It's actually our first female guest on The Rent Roll Radio Show. So we have Ellie Perlman, who is the founder and CEO of Blue Lake Capital. Ellie, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: So Ellie, we typically kick off our program just asking our our guests, you know, why should we listen to you? So can you tell us a little bit about what you've accomplished in the real estate realm?
1: Sure. So why would anyone listen to me? I have experience in real estate from the legal standpoint. So I was a commercial real estate lawyer, uh, a property manager, and now an investor and a syndicator. And I own about 2,000 units. Across the US, but mainly in Texas, Florida, and Georgia. And I've scaled and built my business in a short period of time.
0: Oh, wow. That, that's a lot to take in. So you're from California, correct? And you operate out of California, am I right?
1: So I'm originally from Israel. I live in Santa Monica right now, but all my properties are out of state. So I don't buy anything here for rent control reasons and other reasons. Okay. But yeah, I'm, I'm buying out of state.
0: Yeah, that was kind of the question that I was leading you to was, you know, why are you not buying in California? Why are you buying in the, it sounds like this primarily the Southeast, which is great to hear because that's where we're located. So I'm, I'm glad there's a lot of deals nearby. <laughs> so that's interesting. You're originally from Israel. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? You know, just elaborate more on why you chose real estate law and property management and ultimately into to being a syndicator? Can you just kind of briefly go over your story with this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up very poor and I realized very early on that I have to take care of myself and build a career for myself. And I looked around and most people that had money, from what I could see as a little kid, were involved in real estate in some shape or form, and then I understood, okay, I need to be in real estate, but mistakenly, you know, I thought that I needed to have a lot of money to do it, which which is not true. But I started, you know, my way as a lawyer, because I said, hey, I'm gonna learn real estate, you know, as a lawyer. I went to law school and basically worked my way there and um, spend a few years as a lawyer, and then from there transition to property management because early on I figured I realized that hey I actually don't want to be a lawyer I'm, I'm on the wrong side of the table I want to be my clients I want to go and find properties I want to build things I want to you know be part of the economy the good thing is that I was actually a lawyer during the last recession. So I learned a lot about investment and how to become, you know, what to be aware of because I've experienced the crash with my clients. But then I moved, I transitioned to property management and then decided to move to the States because I wanted to learn more about the business side and started a business, a real estate business. So I had a legal, you know, foundation. I knew how to operate a property, but and maintain it, and now i wanted to start a business so i moved to the states i went to mit got my mba degree and then started investing in real estate so that's kind of you know my path and how i got to real estate
0: awesome so you said you you transitioned from a lawyer to property management so what exactly do you mean by you tran transition to property management. I assume w- with a law degree, you didn't just go sign up to work for a property manager. W- what exactly did that look like?
1: Yeah. So basically what happened was that I, I quit my job as a lawyer and there was a position as a regulation manager. And that was related to, to law in a way. And I got promoted pretty quickly to property management from there because I was overseeing for projects. And from there, the company, that was a daughter company of a very large company that owned a lot of real estate. And from there, I was promoted and I worked for the parent company in asset management and was basically, you know negotiating with tenants and taking care of the properties, over $100 million worth of properties. So that was, for me, that was the transition. I basically said, I want to get my hands dirty. I want to learn more about real estate. I don't want to be a lawyer. And so I made that transition. And then a lot of people thought it was crazy because you don't live your job as a lawyer to run around with tenants and fix <laughs> things. But so that's, you know, I wanted to learn more about real estate. So that was my path
0: that 's awesome, so can you tell us a little bit about after you got into property management, then you moved to the states to go to MIT to get your MBA and you wanted to start investing in real estate so where where did you start? What did your first investment look like? How did you decide what you were going to invest in? Where did you find it? Can you maybe walk us through your first deal
1: yeah, absolutely so i 've done a lot of market research before i 've started, and this is something that I Really, you know, that's my number one advice for everyone who wants to start investing in real estate, especially multifamily, like what I do, spend some time before you start buying buildings or houses, spend some time learning the market. And for me, I knew which markets I wanted to be in because I've done my homework. I was looking for markets that had population, job and rent growth. And in addition, we're landlord-friendly, so it doesn't take me nine months to evict someone who doesn't pay like it is here in California. And these were the main reasons why I purchased in Texas, Florida, and Georgia. And my first sale was actually in the DFW area in Texas. And I've done a lot of work networking with brokers, flying out there to walk properties. And when I say walk properties, I mean go there with the property manager, walk some units get in you know the unit and understand how a building you know how a typical unit looks like walk around see all the amenities interview the local the pm that is managing the property and have your property manager estimate how much it would cost to run the property so i was walking a lot of properties before you know i found the first you know one and i was working with investors so i actually raised capital from investors. And that way I was able to buy a building that I wouldn't be able to buy on my own. And that's one of the misconceptions that a lot of people have. They think I need to be rich to be in real estate, or I need to have a lot of money, but you you don't necessarily have to be wealthy to invest in real estate. You can join other investors or work with a syndicator. So you put a little bit of the money and others are putting, you know, some, you know, 50, 100, 300, half a million dollar checks. And together we own a property. So, and that's also a great way to diversify and not to put all your eggs in one basket. So that was the story of my first deal, basically.
0: So what type of properties do you go after and what type of business plans do you try and apply to those? So we know it's, it's multifamily, but are you in class A, class C? Are you, are you looking for a value-add opportunity to sell in five years? Are you trying to refi and hold on to it? What's your, what's your strategy and what's your, your property style?
1: So in terms of the property of the asset class, I focus on B and C. So basically properties that were you know, built in the 70s and the 80s and 90s. And the strategy is a value add. So we're going to look into any way, you know, a property that we can actually add value to and make money this way. So it could be either by increasing income, so either by raising rents because they're under market to begin with, or by implementing a renovation plan that would help us raise rents, and that's how we're going to increase income. It could be adding more amenities that we can charge money for, such as washer and dryers, or could be carports, could be pet yards. So there are multiple ways to increase the income of the property. And the other part is reduce costs. So sometimes we see you know, a property that the costs are pretty high, and we realize that we can run the property more efficiently and save on the cost. So for the most part, it's a little bit of both, but sometimes we're only on one side of the equation and that's a, for us, that's what part of the, the strategy. So basically a value add strategy with a B to C class asset.
0: And what is your typical holding period on these properties?
1: I would say usually five years, even though we do own properties that we hold for seven years, but if it makes sense to sell it earlier then we would.
0: Okay. And then going from your first deal, how, how many units was that was that first apartment complex in in Dallas?
1: The first one was three hundred and ninety eight units.
0: So how did you scale from there? What did you do after you closed on your first deal? Because I, I imagine you probably didn't wait until you exited that deal before you went and got more. so once once you got the first one under contract, how did you move forward from there? How did you you know go and raise more money and show your investors this is working when you hadn't quite exited yet?
1: Yeah, so you show investors that you do make, you know, we we make monthly distribution. So every month investors see a little bit of the money back and we never stop there and wait until we sell because the whole point is to scale in to basically own as many units as possible, only if the deal makes sense. So basically, once we closed on, on that deal, we were already looking for the next deal and then kept raising money, you know, kept, you know I'm always on social media. I write also for Forbes, for instance, I, write, I have a blog on my website to help educate investors and syndicators about multifamily investing. And so it's always, it's, it's always a process. We're always looking for deals. There's always new investors that join and are interested and want to invest with us. And there's, there's always capital. The, the main thing is to find the right deal and be conservative and not be overly excited about deals and, and buy deals just to own something. That's something that we're trying. I mean, we're very, very strict with our criteria and how conservative we are when we underwrite a deal.
0: So what are your your typical returns for your investors how are those those deals structured and what type of criteria are you talking about that you're strict with when you're underwriting deals
1: So when it comes to returns we're usually around 8% cash on cash 14 to 17% IRR and the deals are structured you know there's generally, there's an equity split between us and our investors. And we always give preferred return. And that means that the first ones to get money from the business operation is our investors. And if there's any money left, then we're going to split it between us and investors. When it comes to basically the criteria, we're very strict. When I say we're very strict, it means that if we see that the property, for instance, has ten units that are renovated and they're making two hundred dollars premiums, meaning two hundred dollars increases over the rent that someone else is paying on the same apartment, but the non renovated one, or we call it a classic unit, then basically we're gonna use a hundred and maybe seventy or a hundred and eighty or a hundred and sixty in our underwriting just to allow a little bit more room if for some reason, we'll have to offer a $30 discount, then that the deal still works. That's one way of doing it. Another way is always to assume that when we would want to exit and sell the property, that the market is not going to be as strong as it is now. So we're actually assuming that when we exit, the cap rates are going to be higher. Now, higher cap rates, that means lower real estate prices. So the goal is still to sell it at a, at a profit, but we might not be able to sell it at, you know, at a low cap rate that we have today. So right now, the U.S. average is about 5% cap rate. So if I buy something at 5%, I'm assuming that when I'm ready to sell it in five years, it's going to be 55 or 6% cap rate and if the deal still works then it's a good deal
0: got it and have you seen cap rates move at that rate or is that just a precautionary measure that you you haven't had to face yet
1: i've actually seen cap rates compressed and right now they're kind of there is a stagnation there so it's not moving much which could mean that i'm wrong and in 5 <laughs> years there's they are not going to be 6% cap there's there's going to be you know, five and three quarters, but that's, that's great because it means that I'm going to make more money than I've shown investors that I've projected. That's a good way of being mistaken. It's just that as a former lawyer, I'm always looking at things and trying to figure out all the things that could go wrong and how I can protect my investors from it because that's how a lawyer thinks. They think, okay, these are all the things that could go wrong. This is how I'm going to protect my client. And it's the same mentality, the same way of looking at things like a lawyer. So we could, you know, interest rate could increase and that's why I'm taking fixed rate loans. The cap rates are going to increase and that's why I'm going to assume that they're going to increase to begin with. And if I'm going to be surprised for the better, then, then yeah, that's great.
0: Absolutely. definitely better to under promise and over deliver. So the next next part of our show is usually we talk about highlights and lowlights. Can you tell us about like your best deal, your biggest, you know, home run, and then maybe one that that didn't go quite as well as planned?
1: Yeah, I think one of the best deals. Well, there are a couple, but I'm I'm thinking about one in specific that I liked. Basically, a deal that we figured out that the owner renovated all the units, but only f- a few months before closing, before he put it in the market, he decided to raise rents by $250. And we just, you know, me and my partners just bought the property and we're raising rents without putting a lot of money, without paying for innovation. So it was funny because I was speaking with one investor and he said, there's not enough value add here because you're not planning to invest in the units. And I said, but that's great because I can get the upside of a value add deal without the cost. And he didn't invest (laughs) because he he thought, no, there's no, I need to see $5,000 per unit to generate those $250. And we didn't need to do anything, almost anything. So that was one of the, I think, better deals. Of course, every deal has its own challenges and struggles, but also, you know, good things. And I would say the m- more challenging one was a deal that was 98% occupied when we started negotiating with the seller, only to realize a week before closing that it was actually 82% occupied, which means that it was not stabilized. We were not qualified for a loan that was a Fannie Mae loan. And that was a big challenge. Right now, you know, I can tell you that We've brought the occupancy back to 93%.
0: How did you and, end up closing on yeah. on the deal? You had to get a different type of financing?
1: No, we were able to convince Fannie Mae that because of our track record and experience in the market that they're still going to extend a loan to us. And it wasn't easy. There was a big question mark there whether we were able to do it. Worst case scenario, we would have taken a bridge loan but mm-hmm. I'm really trying not to take a bridge loan at this point, at this stage of the, the cycle. So I was just happy that we were able to fix the situation right before we, we closed.
0: Can you elaborate on that statement a little bit for our listeners as to what a bridge loan is and why you don't want to take a bridge loan at this point in the cycle?
1: Sure. So a bridge loan, as it sounds, you know, it's, it's a bridge. It's generally designed for a shorter period of time for six, 12, maybe 24 months. Some loans can be extended to even five years. But generally speaking, it's for a shorter period of time. And after if you take a bridge loan for 12 months, you need to refinance and bring and put another debt on the property after 12 months. Now, the risk is that you don't know what the interest rate is going to be in 12 months. In six months, maybe it's not going to jump to 6%. But right now, interest rates are so low for fixed rate, regular you know, agency debt, which are Freddie and Fannie. They're agencies that are backed by the government. So their terms are very good. So last year, we closed with around 3.5%.
0: You said it was a, it was a 10-year fixed loan?
1: Yeah, with three years of interest-only payments. So with the bridge... Obviously, you don't get three and a half percent interest rate, it's a lot higher than that. But the benefit of working with a bridge loan is that you can actually buy a property that is not stabilized. Because, in order to qualify for an agency debt, you need to have a stabilized asset, which means not at least 90 percent occupied for the last 90 days. If you don't have it, then you take a bridge loan, or if you want to maximize your loan to value ratio. So if you can take a conventional Freddie or Fannie loan, but they only give you 65% LTV, then technically you can take instead a bridge debt and maximize it up to 80% LTV. Pay maybe a little bit more higher interest rate. It opens up more opportunities, but it comes with with a risk for sure.
0: Awesome. So what advice do you have for our listeners that are interested in getting started or, you know, that are maybe afraid to make the next move or, or don't know what to do? What, what advice would you have to anybody who is interested in investing in real estate?
1: Yeah, I would say education is key here. I have a mentoring program where I teach people how to do what I do and, you know, take them every step of the way. Even if you don't take a mentor, make sure you're fully knowledgeable about the process, about how to run the numbers. The smallest mistake can be so costly in real estate and you really have to know the ins and outs of multifamily investing, even how to find the market, how to manage the assets so you can actually you know, increase the profitability and make sure you're paying the highest amount possible for your investors. So I would say education is key and start with educating yourself before you look at properties, before you talk to investors. If you're educated, then you know how to run the numbers, how to talk to investors and what markets to focus on.
0: Absolutely. So what's next for you? Are you going to continue in traditional multifamily? Are you looking at any other asset classes, any other big plans?
1: So right now we're focused 100% on multifamily and we're focused only on Texas, Florida, and Georgia, which are markets that we know very well. And right now that's the the main focus, I think for the next probably three years or so, only multifamily. We might venture out of multifamily at some point, but right now this is our main focus. It's just I really believe in specializing and doing it right. And that's what we know how to do. We do it well and and we enjoy it. I'm very passionate about multifamily. It's an asset class that I feel connected to. I was a tenant myself. A lot of my investors were tenants. And it's something that it's easier to understand and connect to versus other types of real estate. I'm not saying I'm not going to be there, maybe passively, but actively as a syndicator, our main focus is multifamily. Our only focus is multifamily.
0: Oh, awesome. So next we just have our radio round where we ask three quick questions to, you know, help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. The first one is what's your favorite book?
1: I have so many good books. I mean, I'm reading a book probably every 10 days or so. The last one was measure w- what matters. And it's a lot about OKRs and objective and key results, how to build them in your company so you can scale and take it to the next level. So that's my favorite book so far.
0: Awesome. I'll have to check it out. What's your favorite quote?
1: My favorite quote, um, can I suggest a quote that I say and quote myself?
0: Yes, you're the second person today (laughs) to do that.
1: (laughs) Uh, Just because I can't, there's nothing that comes to to mind at this point, but I would say, you know, every day is a Monday. For me, every day is a Monday and also, which means that I work, every day. Like it's a Monday. And, but I think my favorite one is that the sky is not the limit. It's only plan B. So always, always aim for the highest possible target that you can imagine. And if you fail, you're still going to get super high, you know, and achieve great things, but always you have to start achieving. You have to start wishing and, and planning for something great. And that's what I do. And it has been working great for me.
0: Awesome. So what's your favorite thing to do when you're not working?
1: Skiing, black diamonds, working out. What else? And reading books. Nice. And And driving sports cars, which is my passion.
0: Awesome. So where can our listeners find you?
1: They can go to my website, com, and Ellie is E-L-L-I-E. And if they go to that website, they can find information about my mentoring program and also they can download a free document which basically describes the five critical components in a deal, in a real estate deal, that every investor should focus on and that will kind of guide you through the process and what you need to look for when you're investing in real estate and what questions to ask
0: awesome well i'm going to go to your website and download that as soon as we hang up thank you so much for joining us i really enjoyed the interview and i know that our listeners are going to learn a ton just like i did thanks and we we hope to hear from you again soon
1: absolutely it was absolutely my pleasure thank you for having me
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at Rent Roll Radio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at capital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.